Okay, here we go, guys. Okay, so just one thing about today's Shir Kali. Um, some of you may know that Rob Lichtenstein's yard site is this weekend. And it's been suggested that I do something that's connected to him. Uh, I think once an issue in Jewish thought, I discussed his machshava, his thought, and his impact. So I'm not going to do all that, but we're going to do a Talmudic topic that he has a very interesting idea about. So I'm not going to do everything he did. I'll, I'll just mention very briefly some of the impact he had. So Rav Luchenstein, of course, was a uh, student of Rav Hutner in Chaim Berlin. That's where he went to high school. Then he went to YU for university where he became a student of Rav Soloveitchik. He ultimately, of course, married Rav Soloveitchik's daughter, uh, Dr. Tova Luchenstein, who still lives in Alochvat, in my neighborhood. Um, he then got smicha, but also went to Harvard and a PhD in English literature. So obviously that not a long list of Rashi Shibu have PhDs in English literature. I think actually we have just exhausted the list. Okay. And uh, then he was teaching in YU, and he decided to move to Israel, which is a little bit of a risky move. I Meaning he was, as it were, like the young star in you know the modern Orthodox orbit. So he could easily be satisfied with that. But he felt the call to come here. He ultimately joined a famous rabbi known as Rabbi Yudah Amital to be co-Rosh Yeshiva at the Gush, Yeshiva Haratzion. This was in the early 70s. And then he made a very big, big impact here. Um, I mentioned a couple things before. Like There was a sense at one point that the Hezda arrangement was somehow like a big event. It wasn't as good as being a full-time Yeshiva guy. And Rav Luchenstein, in a famous article, you can read it in English if you want, and he was called Zot Torah Hezda, right? argued that it is a Lichat Chila, that we have twin responsibilities that we feel very strongly about, that we want to become knowledgeable of the Torah and connected to our tradition, but we also have to protect Am Yisrael. So we shouldn't view it as a second-rate move. We should use an ideal move. So that was an important thing. Uh, he also brought, perhaps for lack of a better term, like a more humanistic approach to religious Zionism, where he'd be the kind of person who would think it's you know reasonable to you know say to him for Cambodian refugees or stuck somewhere in the world, right, where that wasn't really so common in the yeshiva world, that, oh, we'll say, we're not only going to say, tell them for, you know, uh, Jews in trouble, but we'll say, tell them for Cambodians in trouble also. So I think uh, Rabbi Lichtenstein was a very, very important voice, an influential voice, and I would even say, if you look at the religious Zionist world, they're almost like, even though there are a lot of good yeshiva, the only two yeshiva that really, like, created satellites, and almost like, sometimes you have a school, and you have, like, a, a movement, I would say. So I would say Merkaz Harab did, right, that's, and I could go into all the things that spawned, came out of Merkaz Harab, but that's Yeshiva that created like a whole movement as it were. And I'd say to some degree, the counterpoint in our world is Yeshiva Haratzion. Well, just to give you some examples, one example would be like the students of such Yeshiva would create their own institutions. So for example, some of you may know, there's a Yeshiva in Otniel, who's Rashi Be'ez and Menim, Rav Re'im HaKohen, I don't know if you've heard of him or not, but he learned in Haaretzion. So you have a student of Rav Luchenstein who then created another important yeshiva, the yeshiva Naniel. Okay, there's a pretty well-known yeshiva that used to be in Ranana, then in Tel Aviv. There's a yeshiva Rav Yuval Shurlau, so you may know about him also. Okay, so Rav Shurlau also learned in Haaretzion. In fact, I think actually Rav Shurlau and Rav Yuval were Chavruto. I mean, it's before my time, but I, I believe so. So uh, here's an example again of like almost not just the yeshiva, but like a spillover effect where it's impacted on the larger world of religious Zionism. Just one last point, uh, he was a very special human being. 
which included a tremendous amount of humility. So just, he's the kind of person, like, you almost could divide the world into you know, two kinds of, that is really simplistic, we'll do it anyway. Okay, nothing like a little binary simplistic uh, division over here. Okay, there are two kinds of rabbis in this world. Like those who, when they get to lunch, like, cut the line because they're the rabbi, they go straight to get the food. And they say, no, well, just because I'm a rabbi, why shouldn't I wait on line just like anybody else? So Rebbe was like the all-star of the second position. Like, one does not take advantage of one's rabbinic prerogatives, one waits on line. So I'll just do one very cute story. Yeah, unfortunately, I was not there, but I, I love the story. Okay, so they're in the Gush bathroom, and Rebbe is in the bathroom also. I guess he's not using some special staff bathroom. And a, a guy calls out, I lost my contact lens. Okay, so everybody who's in the bathroom now is on the floor looking for the contact lens. So let's say, so it's seven yeshiva guys and Rav Luchensi, right? They're all on the floor, like, poking around for the contact lens. So the guy was a little embarrassed, the guy who had lost it. So he calls out, Matsaki, I found it. Now the reality was, he had not found it. But he was just like embarrassed that Rav is on the floor. So all eight of them get up and leave the bathroom. And then the guy comes back to look for his contact lens. <laughs> so that's a good story. Okay, but that, I think... Uh, shows you who, uh, who Rabbi Lechenstein was and what he was like. Okay, so with that background, let's go to today's topic. Okay, because here, Rabbi Lechenstein had a manuscript that he had never finished. They put it out after he passed away. It's a sefer called Kedushat Aviv. And he has an idea in the sefer that I want to get to at the end of today's year. So that's why we're doing this topic. Okay, so let's contra- contrast Yom Tov and Shabbat. Because uh, again, in our mind, we might think of Yom Tov Shabbat as being rather similar, but there's some real differences, and let's see if those differences, one of the things I love to do, guys, is can we make it both halacha and machshav at the same time? There's a conceptual split here, but it has to do with like, Jewish thought on a deeper level. Yeah, yeah. Is there a looking scene on the floor? I just want to clarify. Yes, yes, that was the point. He was on the floor, yeah. I just wanted to make sure. Okay. There you go. I'm just trying to figure out if that counts as like commenting on your clothing or not. It would be number two. Okay. <laughs> okay. Wait, what, what was number one? Uh, it was, it was uh, months ago. Okay. Fine. So, uh, in any case, let's just do a comparison for one second. Now, of course, we have <coughs> Isra Mulacha, both on Shabbat and Yom Tov. But if we're to analyze this Mulacha, what does it say is, wait, are there differences? Are there differences in the word prohibition? And maybe those differences are not just technical details. Maybe they're telling about the nature of the days. So let's start listing, guys. There's at least two or possibly three things at which we're going to come up with. What is the essential difference between the work prohibition on Yom Tov and the work prohibition on Shabbat? <coughs> Okay, so obviously cooking is the biggest difference, right? You are allowed to cook on Yom Tov. Could be some of your parents do this at home, right? We don't have to prepare everything before the Yom Tov meal. We could get up Yom Tov morning and, you know, make the chicken, right? We could cook on Yom Tov, where you cannot cook on Shabbat. Okay, now again, there already you could say, is that just a technical difference? Oh, Shabbat has, I don't know, 39 prohibitions and Yom Tov has 38 or whatever, 37, or the case may be, but... It's just technical. Or no, no, that reflects a real difference in the nature of Eastern Laha. Okay, yeah. Yes. Okay, so correct. You could say carrying is a difference. Right, we, obviously there's an Isser to carry without an Erev on Shabbat, which we don't have on Yom Tov. Okay, so we've got carrying, we've got cooking. Okay, R.E.B.? Uh, okay, let's leave that aside because that might not be a Malacha per se. Okay, let's focus on malacha. What about guys in terms of severity? 
Yeah. Good. So anyone, actually, I was much older when I realized this, but I think it's like interesting, even like terminology. Like we'll talk about Chil Shabbat as a thing. Right? You might say, oh, there's a Machal Shabbat. They're sitting there in the corner. Right? Did you ever hear that phrase regarding Yom Tov? And my whole life, I don't think anyone ever said, oh, see that guy? He's a Machal Yom Tov. Okay, uh, or don't do that. It is Chilul Yom Tov. Now, it's kind of interesting. Like, you could say, okay, that's just the way terminology played out. Or maybe it's telling. Maybe sometimes human language is telling. Why don't we use that term, Chilul Yom Tov? And in fact, what is, again, as we know, Baton tends to not punish people so often, but technically, what is the punishment for Chil Shabbos? Yeah, it's a death penalty crime. It's skila. Okay, now comes the interesting part that is much less well known. What is technically the crime for Chilu Yom Tov? Malko. Very good. Who said that? Was good? Excellent. Tal, how do you know that? Yes. Oh, good guess. An educa- it was not just a guess, it was an educated guess. There's a big difference. Okay, so it's like I told you guys with the trivia questions. When in my family we do trivia questions Friday night, guys, you don't get points if you just guessed and got it. But if you were an educated guest, that's impressive. Like I always told you this, like if it's like a song by an Israeli female singer, so then we either guess Ofra Chaza, right? She's the woman who does Prince of Egypt, right? Or Chava Alberstein or Naomi Shemer. So if you get that one right, that was an educated guest. Oh, that sounds more Naomi Shemer like than Ofra Chaza. Okay, so that, that, that counts again. Okay, so of course, if it's a fourth Israeli female singer, we have no chance because we can't name anymore. Okay, but, uh, but okay, but there you go. Okay, so now, ah, Yom Tov is not a death penalty crime, it's Malko. So maybe that already indicates that we don't view violating Yom Tov at all as we view violating Shabbat. So, okay, already in our picking up information here, we seem to have some pretty significant differences. I guess to sum up, we've done so far. Shabbat is more encompassing. You can't cook, you can't carry. Yom Tov, somehow you can. And Shabbat is more severe, right? Shabbat is a death penalty crime, and I want to argue, even based on our communal terminology, we'll talk about Chil Shabbos as a thing. And Yom Tov is not a death penalty crime, and we don't seem to talk about Machal Yom Tov as like this serious status, right? It doesn't have, it doesn't stick out in the way that Chil Shabbos sticks out. Yeah? And can't you kill Yom Tov? Uh, yeah, well, let's say you can check. We'll, we'll, say, we'll phrase it that way, okay? Okay, yeah, that, that was good that you threw in the second sentence there. Okay. Yes, okay, so again, I shouldn't really focus on one malacha. As was said before, I think whoever Quincy said, the real phrase is ochel nefesh. You can do things that lead to direct consumption of food. So it's quite fascinating because none of us live this way anymore. I don't know if we have anybody uh, trying to think. Yeah, I'm not going to go with the cheap move of just like picking something in the Midwest and pretending to live on a farm. Okay, we'll skip it. We'll skip that one. Okay, what? I'm sorry? Oh, that's true. That's true. We'll go with that. That was a good card to play. Okay, let's say you're Yoni Kranz. Okay, and now you have chickens in your backyard because you're just living Kulin all the time. Okay, Yoni, are you going to have chickens in your backyard? When, you, when you're a family man, do they let? Uh, oh. oh. Wait, in like Tinef, would it be problem no, yeah, legally to have chickens? Really? You can't you have chickens in your backyard? Is that true? Wait, guys, wait, just, just understand. Most cities in America, you're not allowed to have chickens. What? Really? I'm getting, I'm getting one second. Wait, we'll get to you one second. See, guys, that's why I give chocolate. I learned things I didn't know. Who would have known that Teaneck is this exceptional area where it is forbidden to have chickens in your backyard? And turtles. 
<laughs> Why? I don't know. Are you sure? You, yes. Well, what would that, what would be the fee or punishment if you're caught with a turtle in your backyard? It's like Wow. Wow, Teaneck is a tough town there. Oh my god. Yeah, go ahead, effort. Oh, there you go. You live in Riverdale. Wait, is it only, it's only that because you're like over the border? No, but is it true that in Riverdale you wouldn't be allowed to? Well, boys, I did not know that. Apparently, on the Riverdale side of the border, you can't have chickens, but on the Westchester side, you can. That's what Ephraim claims. Which, which side are you guys on? Uh, okay. See, guys, the cons are never going to have chickens in your Yoni backyard. Just said, the reason, Yoni just told me the reason for the turtles is because people would get them from the river and bring them into their house and they would get diseases. <laughs> Meaning protecting the turtles. Protecting the kids. Oh, really? And what's, what's the logic of the chicken ordinance? Oh, the chicken Anyone know what the logic of the chicken is? Yeah. They're very loud? They're louder than dogs in the backyard? Really? Okay. There you go. What? Okay. Do you have a friend new? Alright, last question, guys. In England. In London and Manchester, can yes. you have chickens and turtles in your backyard? Yes. Not chickens, but it's basically just giving foxes free food. No, Wait, if you're in the middle of London, a fox is going to be My house is right Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Kobe. Yeah, has a whole enclosure, and she has dogs. He's the fox now, and she has three chickens. Your aunt who lives where? London. Ah, there you go. Okay. So you guys are very, very informative here. I learned a lot today. Okay, so in any case, Yoni Grant says chicken in his backyard. Now, we don't really do this anymore, but in theory, what could he do if it was Yom Tov? He could check it. He'd get a Yom Tov morning and say, we would love to have fresh chicken for lunch. I'm going to chef it right now. Okay, now again, most of us don't do this. I don't know if anybody does it anymore. But in theory, that would be mutar. Correct. So guys, don't think of Ochol Nafesh only as cooking. Other malako that be, now again, not all of them. I don't want to get into the details right now. So for example, you couldn't pick an apple off a tree. But I'm not going to get into why you can't right now. Okay, but you can check, you can cook on Yom Tov. Okay, so we've seen some significant differences. We're going to try to figure out if there's something deeper at work here about why Isra Malacha on Yom Tov is different than Isra Malacha on Shabbat. Okay, please, Eitan. I have an idea to do Sure. Um, well, Okay, it's very good. Very good. Okay, so let's, before we get back to Lacha, guys, we'll take a break from Lacha said and think about the philosophy of it for a second. Guys, give me a good argument why Isim Lacha and Yom Tov must come from a different place than Isim Lacha and Javis. If you're just thinking as a philosopher, as like a Tommy Mitzvot person, right? You're trying to give rationales for mitzvot. So just think about, oh, how would I explain to the average person why you can't do mulacha on Shabbat? And then how would I explain to the average person why you can't do mulacha on Yom I think you should all realize right away there's an obvious split. Jonah. I mean, in the Torah it says, you know, for Yom Okay, but I'm not, you're right, we should look at Pesukim, but I'm just thinking in terms of rationales, the logic behind something. Okay, what changes? Yeah, Zisha. Okay, but, okay, you're getting there, but a little bit further. Are you bad with? Uh, I would say maybe it's like the third non-lufa that we have on Shabbos come from the building of Mishan, and so we don't really have that concept around it. Okay, you guys are all close, but I think you could like 
Bring it home. Phil! I couldn't hear what Tisha said, but maybe it's word versus celebration. Okay, Noah. <laughs> no, you all think good things. I just think there's something more basic that can be said. Like Shabbos is all about rest, and Yom Tov is about uh, like spending time. Okay, you're all right. Maybe you're all thinking this, you're just not spelling it out. Why is Shabbos all about rest? Jake? Ah, uh, now we're talking. Okay, I could be all meant that. And it all, well, everything you said follows from that. But I would say the first point is, right, the most basic explanation is, oh, in our tradition, God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. We are commemorating that by also not engaging in creative labor on the seventh day, right? Wouldn't that be the most, uh, you could say a thousand other things. It seems to me that's the most basic point about Shabbat. Gooby, is that what you're going to say? Yes. Great. But wait, is it obvious that should apply to Yom Tov? Right? It's not obvious that Yom Tov is about creation, right? Pesach is about Yitzhak Mitzrayim, right? Sukkot is about survival in the Midbar. So at that point, I might already say to myself, even from a, like a philosophical perspective, wait, Isra Malach and Yom Tov is probably rooted in something else. And it could be what you guys will think were good explanations for that. But, that, but now we've done a good thing, because now what have we seen? We've seen that on a halakhic conceptual level, Shabbat and Yom Tov differ in serious ways. Again, how many malachat are asur? How severe is the violation? But now we've also seen that even we just think about it philosophically, they should be different, right? As Jake Weyberg says very well, Shabbat, it's easy to root the prohibition in our creation story. And Yom Tov, it's not so obvious that that should be the source of the work prohibition. Can any comments on that point? Yeah, all right. Okay, great. Great. And I think some of you were hinting at this already. It could be I'm jumping ahead too much, but maybe the idea would be somehow is really just about creating the right atmosphere. And I think it does help. I, I, I think, again, as I, I've said this in the past, okay, prohibitions can be not just frustrating, they can be liberating. Okay, now, again, I wouldn't say that, oh, I experience every prohibition in Judaism is liberating. No, I do experience something that's frustrating and disturbing. But I think it's a, a mature person realizes that sometimes a prohibition can be liberating. Like, let's say someone says that what I should be saying, let's say I say, I am overweight, I am not going to have cake for the next month. Right? So if I really kept to that, I actually think that would be more liberating than restricting. I'd be free of this, you know, need to have a muffin so I can make it through morning center. Right? That would be... Caleb, you guys can try that. You and Ezra. Even on a great day, you won't have a donut. It'll be liberating. Give it a shot. No, we haven't done any other kind of Oh, really? Well, maybe because maybe you just haven't had a good day yet. There's various possible explanations for why you haven't done it yet. We're going to do it today, but maybe not now. Have you had a good day today? Today was pretty good. Okay, fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. But in any case, so I'll tell you where I do really experience it. I think Shabbat is a good example where I experience a restriction as liberating. Right, in the sense that, you know what, I don't care how much I'd like to, you know, check my email or look at my Facebook page. It just doesn't happen. Right, and that in certain sense is a freedom, not just a restriction. Okay, but what if I say that that's what Yom Tov Yisra Blach is about? Like, we'd like you to focus on your family, on certain ideas, and if you're doing work, then you're distracted, you're busy in the yard, you know, doing your gardening. 
Okay, so we say you can't do that in Yom Tov, but that would be very different. MMB would be kind of like more functional, right? Isser Malachan Shabbos would be more inherent. You can't do Malachan Shabbat because you're trying to commemorate the creation story. Where Isser Malachan Yom Tov, it's not that there's any story I'm trying to commemorate, but I think what creates the right, I don't know, atmosphere of sanctity, guess what creates the right atmosphere of sanctity? Not the Malachan. But couldn't we all agree that if it's more instrumental, maybe that's why it plays out so differently? And as Ari Berman said, maybe that's why the severity would not be the same thing. Right? When I'm doing Malachan Shabbos, I'm going against the fundamental Jewish idea. When I'm doing Malachan Yom Tov, I'm not doing that. And therefore, it's not Vera, but it's certainly not a death penalty crime. Eitan. Well, I'm not sure how much you think this happened, but there's also like, the aspect of, let's say, the non-Jew, what their perspective of the certain day is. Like if you ask, if you go up to the street um, and go to the random person shoot you, ask okay, like whenever you say the Sabbath, what comes to mind? They think, okay, I can't email my non-Jewish, I, I can't email my Jewish colleagues because they're mm-hmm. online. Which is like, if you ask them about like a uh, holiday, they're gonna be like, oh, that's where you do the seder, that's where you sit okay. the thoughts, that's where you say mm-hmm. like things. So I think it's also like. What other people also like have a perspective of those holidays? Okay, like, uh, okay, fair enough. No, I, I'm not sure I exactly understand the, why the fundamental difference would be the difference in what we're commemorating because throughout different Yom Tovs, we're also commemorating different things every single time. Okay, that's true, but those things were com- that's a good point, Noah. But those things we're commemorating might not lead to Isra Malacha. Like, let's say Pesach, we have this great Exodus story. We want to tell the Exodus story, right? A, a slave, a enslaved people got free from a major power. But that's a great story, but it's not obvious that it would lead to Isra Malacha, right? Wait, so maybe you can, like, separate... I'm just trying to say that the Shabbos story naturally leads to Isra Malacha. Uh-huh. The other Chagim story is going... Like passive ones like active. You can say that if you want to. Right. You can say that if you want to. Okay, anybody else want to comment on that? Okay, so maybe go a little bit out of order for one second, just to give her a look and see a little credit. So if everyone could go to the back page before we see the major sources... Okay, so we're looking at his book, Kedushat Aviv. Okay, 13. Okay, this was good for me today, guys, because I was under pressure because I forgot that Shirkali was at 11. It was 11.15. So I, I was typing furiously at like 10 to 11 to finish this up. But I finished in time for 11 and then discovered I had 15 more minutes. Okay, so let's look. So everyone knows, right, guys? That because of the new Mincha schedule, so for the rest of the year, Shirkali is 11.15. Okay? Okay, here we go. Uh, by the way, if you're a bam, tell you that it's probably because they didn't remember. Okay, so tell her Judah that's all she. Okay, so here we go. The nira, she yesh chiluk bezeben shabbat liyamtov. There is a chiluk, a distinction. Good, no, between shabbos and yamtov. The isim alach biyamtov dobe benidonzel lebasar bechalav. Look at this kind of a fascinating formulation. Oh, do malach on yamtov. What's that really like? That's like eating a cheeseburger. It's, it's almost like more like eating a cheeseburger than it's like violating Shabbat. Here, look at he's really trying to draw like a sharp dividing line between Isra Malacha and Yom Tov and Isra Malacha and Shabbat. Here we go. The, uh, see, I made a mistake in the typing. See, I was rushing too much. Let's see. Oh, now I can't figure out. I can't even figure out what it was. What did I do there? Let's see what the original says. That's the fun things you can figure what your typo is, but I can't even figure out what my typo is. Uh, Dehine M, it should be. Oh man, I know how that became that. Oh, it's just Dehine. I don't know where those other things come from. So cross out the mem and the slash. I don't know what they're doing there. Okay, Dehine. Im Banu Lachzar Kol Mekrot, 
This is great, guys, because I wanted to bring an inference from our terminology. What's up, Lechazim, pointing out? It's not our terminology. It's actually mikro'od. It's the psukim. Okay, again, I never noticed this. He says, let's say it says about Shabbat, lo t'chalalu. Okay, apparently never uses that terminology regarding Yom Tov. So it's not just, oh, Jews in the 1600s, Poland started talking that way. The Torah talks about Chilul Shabbat, right, but never talks about Chilul Yom Tov. Okay, because Chilul is to profane, right? Mashma'ut ha'davar brura. The meaning is clear. Meleket b'yom tov amnam ne'esra. It is indeed usher. No one's denying that it's okay. No one's saying it's okay to do melech on Yom Tov. But, ach shalom k'b'shabat. That should be Avera. Oh man, I'm really a terrible typist. Okay, I probably make more typos in Hebrew than English, but okay. That should be a Yud. Avera greater. That's the word to know. Any other word greater? Alone. I mean, what is it? It's a sin. There are a lot of sins in this world. But So this is really interesting. It sounds like there are a lot of sins that are just sins, and sins that somehow have a broader context. Right, you are mechalal something. You profane something serious. And again, just to give you a sense of this, guys, isn't it true in Allah sometimes we'll have like a status of, as I mentioned before, like that person is mechal Shabbos. Maybe therefore, I know, he shouldn't be a witness at a wedding. Right, where maybe somebody else might say, okay, he talks a lot of Lashon Hara, but we'll still let him be a witness at a wedding. Right, there's somehow a status of being a mechalal. Not everyone who does Navera is a mechalel. So in that sense, says Rebbe Lichtenstein, doing melech on Yom Tov is actually more akin to eating a cheeseburger. You have done the wrong thing. You're not a mechalel or something. On Shabbat, you're a mechalel. One second, Ari. Gets even better, guys. Tama chiluk afu barur. B'makom sheish chilol metyachesu lebrit shebemoed ubrit zen itchat shelagabe Shabbat b'parsha ketisa ach lo nikba lo nikba Yom Tov. What does he claim also? What other role does Shabbos have? Now, it would be really interesting, guys, to evaluate every angle here, but we're not going to do it. But what's he claim? There's some special covenant between Am Yisrael and God, which is somehow limited to Shabbat. Guys, where does this find expression, even in our davening? Think of, like, one nine in particular. Don't we say, maybe I think of the Pasuk or the Ki Oti, right? Where do we say Ki Oti? Where is that? In it's, it's, it's good, very good. Right? So, wait, is Yom Tov Lolam, like some kind of special sign of the relationship between... Now you could say yes, but notice there's that Pasuk in Shabbat and not in Yom Tov. So I think what looking saying, if you just look at the Pesukim, you have a sense that the Isra Malacha on Shabbat is more serious. You have, again, the term Chilol only applies, like Mechale Mo'yumat. The term Chilol is only said for Shabbat. And this idea of a special oat and a special breed. So it says, Rebilchatim, that's why we view Malach on Yom Tov as a regular old transgression. And Malach on Shabbat is something of greater impact and significance. Okay. Ari Berman. Are these two separate I'm sorry? Yeah. Are these two separate and Yom Tov? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, if you open the Rambam, Sefer Mitzvah, to the Sefer Achinach, what would you discover? There's one prohibition called don't do malacha on Shabbat, and there's a totally separate prohibition called don't do malacha on Yom Tov. But actually, you know what? Oh, I just, okay. You know what we should look up later? I'm just curious, guys. What would you think? I have no idea what the answer is. Do you think that 
the Sefer, that the Rams are going to count not do Malacha on every Yom Tov as separate Mitzvah? I'm not sure what the answer is, actually. I mean, I'm saying is there a Malacha called Don't do Malacha on Pesach, and one called Don't do Malacha on Sukkot, or is it just an Isser called Don't do Malacha on Yom Tov? We should check that out. I, I'm not sure offhand what the answer is. Uh, you, do you want to get a Chinuch and we'll check? Uh, only if you're really curious. Curious enough, okay. If you can't find a Chinuch, bring him in, Chinuch. Uh, I know we're in the back to see if Okay, that's it. It's good to be intellectually curious in life. Okay, everybody good before we move on? Okay, thanks so much. Yeah, Rafi. I feel like it would be kind of similar to like tomorrow is just in Seder Moe, but like you have things and Moe cut them, you also have like the individual as well. Okay, let me clarify right now, guys. I'm not denying. Oh my god, oh god. People, people don't understand Rav Gav. They think he, he's a fanatic because he's Haredi. He's not a fanatic Haredi at all. He's a fanatic because he keeps locking the back door. That's his, that's his fanaticism. Okay, so uh, in, in any case, um, Rav, let me clarify one thing though. I'm not denying that every Yomtev has its own character. There's no question. No one's going to say, like, you know it's right. I'm, no one's going to say that, oh, Pesach and Shavuot are the same themes. Of course not. I'm just curious if the Isra Malacha is thought of as one Isra Malacha. I wonder if you just did the same model. Okay, that's a fair question. You know, actually, we'll go to you right now. Okay, let's get to that point right now. So everybody go back to the previous page, and we'll see something I think is really interesting that most people are not aware of. Uh, this is for the Gabbam in the room. Gidon and Isaac Burkauer. Where's Isaac? Is he on? Oh, there he is. Isaac, ready? You're going you're to understand the world right now. Okay? We do this interesting thing when it comes to Kriyat Torah. That you might have noticed that we'll call up different amounts of people based on what day it is. But have you ever thought about this? It's actually almost like a ranking system. Like how serious is that day? Oh, the more serious you are, you get another Aliyah. Okay, so I didn't, as a kid, I never noticed that. And that's what we're doing. So let's just play through it for a second, guys. Okay? What? How many people do we call up on Monday or Thursday? Three, apparently. Oh, that is the least significant day of Creator Torah. It's just a regular weekday Monday. How serious is that? Okay, when do we go from three to four? Ah, very good. Rosh Chodesh and one more thing? Nope. Very good. Rosh Chodesh and Chol HaMoed. Okay, so apparently Rosh Chodesh and Chol HaMoed, they have more status than a Monday, Thursday. So we go from three to four. Okay. What then is the next level? When do we move to five? Anyone know? Yom Tov. Very good. You might have noticed, guys, you probably all noticed also, like in your machzar, like all the Yom Tov Kriyas, or many of them, it could either be divided into five or into seven. Right? You notice that? Okay. A lot of, by the way, a lot of Bali Kriya like when it's Shabbos, because when it's divided into seven, they really don't have to read 70 sukkah at a shot. They're really pretty small, short old at that point. Okay. But when it's Yom Tov, it's divided into five. Okay. So Yom Tov apparently ups the ante. Yantav has more status than Rosh Chodesh and Cholomoy, and four becomes five. Okay, now comes the most interesting part. Okay, ah, who gets six, who gets seven? So Kippur gets six, and Shabbos gets seven. Now, I've often found that fascinating, because what does that mean? In some ranking system, apparently, Shabbos beats Yom Kippur. Which, again, a lot of, if I'd asked the average Jew in the street, they might have said, no, Yom Kippur should be in first place in the league. Shabbos should be in the wild card slot there in second place. Like, how is it that you, Shabbos what? So it is quite interesting that, okay, we got the ranking? So, Isaac, are you on this ready? 
Okay, do you know why though? You also understood there was a ranking system? Okay, so Shabbat gets seven, Yom Kippur gets six, Yom Tov gets five, Rosh Chodesh and Cholomoy get four, and Monday and Thursday get three. Yeah, go. Okay, so the truth is, that's very funny you said that, Kobe. Okay, I hope nobody minds if I say this, but getting an Aliyah on Simchas Torah has no halachic status whatsoever. It is a, it is a very late minuk. It's it's almost the same as celebrating Lagba Omer or Tu Bishvat. Okay, it, is, it really does. It really does not have. I shouldn't laugh at my own jokes. It, it, it really does not have much status. It is a, it's a nice minog, but put it this way: if you didn't get one an Aliyah one Simchas Torah, don't go and say, "Oh my God, I missed the main mitzvah of Simchas Torah." No, there's no, there's no mitzvah to get an Aliyah. It's a nice minog. Yes, yeah, I'm. Um, is there an answer for why? Um, We're discussing right now. Don't worry, I wouldn't do that without uh, John. Okay, that's a very good point. So maybe I just said this the other day in uh, was discussing. Oh, there's a reporter in London. Okay, that uh, sometimes we make a mistake. We think if A is better than B, that means A always beats B. What if there are different categories of life, and life is so complex that in this category A is stronger than B? But in some other category, actually, BBTA, maybe that's true. It depends, like, to what lens I'm looking at it. So I think that Joan made a great point. It might be a mistake to say, oh, I learned in Shirkola today that Judaism always values Shabbat over Yom Kippur. We say, that's obviously false. But if a day is both Shabbat and Yom Kippur, we don't eat. So apparently the fasting of Yom Kippur is more significant than the meals of Shabbat. Okay, so Johnny, you're making a great point. So again, I wouldn't push it too far, but it would still be interesting that at least in one context, Shabbat is beating out on, on Yom Kippur. Yeah, Mati. Um, this wasn't actually my point, but if, um, is there necessarily a halachic imperative to eat on Shabbat to the same extent that there is a reason to fast on Yom Kippur? No, you could say it's a fulfillment of the midst of Oneg and therefore it's the Right. You're right. So maybe it's not such a great example. Otherwise, otherwise but, the other way around, you, you're actually giving up fasting on Yom Kippur. Ah, okay, like, but... For, for very little for Shabbat, like not a halachic imperative. That's yeah. a good point. That's a good point. I'm trying to think. No, it's very interesting you said, Mati. Kiddush is a mitzvah doraita, but what do you think, guys? Let's toss this to the crowd for a second. When we don't make Kiddush on Yom Kippur night, is that clearly that we're, pre- we're giving preference to Yom Kippur or not so clear? Can anyone tell me why it might not be true? Ah, you ever hear the idea that maybe you don't really need the cup of wine for Kiddush? Maybe the essential Kiddush is the recital of the right words? Now, wouldn't it be true that if that's so, in a certain sense, I actually do fulfill Kiddush, even on Yom Kippur? So, Matthew, you're making a very good point. I'm not sure if I could think of, like, a Doraita Doraita clash, Yom Kippur versus Shabbos. Yeah. Isn't that a Chabad thing? Am I right, guys? Oh, once again, we turn to our seven Chabadniks. Didn't Chabad decide they don't have to do Sudash Shit, they just have to learn? Does that ring a bell to any Chabadnik in the room? Danny Sachs, you have heard that? Okay. What? No, Kobe, you never heard that? Caleb, you never heard it? Who's the other Chabadnik? No, Danny Sachs, have you heard that? Rev David will mention it. Rev David. Okay, I'm right though, right? It's a Chabad thing, right? It, there is a Chabad thing that somehow, you don't need Sudash Shit, just like learn some Dora. Okay. 
See, Kobe, they, they, they covered up certain uh, Chabad bin Hagam from you. Maybe the gold blast is like eating too much. Right? We're not going to give up on our Sudash sleep. We're not going to Chabad on that one. Okay. <laughs> what? I see. I, I think I nailed it here. Okay. But even though you're Chabad on both sides, there's this gold black cover up about Chabad Minuk of Sudash Lishi. <laughs> Ah, that's a good part. Okay, we have a very practical explanation since Chabad finishes davening at two in the afternoon. So by the time they finish lunch, so who's going to eat some dashlishin after that? That's it. that's a very reasonable explanation, actually. What time did they start davening? I, I got that showed up at one, and they hadn't even hit the cocktail yet. So. Well, that's a little extreme. Okay, in, my, in my experience, Chabad starts like 9.45. Uh, no, it's like 10.30. Here we go. Right? I see you guys. Another reason to move to L.A. You could go to Chabad. No, <laughs> Where's that? 10.30. Okay. Where was it? Where was it? Oh, in Israel. Yeah. The, the main means at 10.30? I guess. Oh, my God. Yonadav, now I know why you like Chabad so much. <laughs> we worked it out. I, I thought you had to get it up to like 9.45. 10.30. What time does the one in the old city start? What? Yeah. Ten. Ah, see, they're more radical there at Ten thirty. You know, you have to, you know, you have to calculate now how long it takes to walk to Ten and see which one's a better deal. <laughs> you have any idea how long it takes to walk? Two seconds. Oh, I thought. It's the old city one. Oh, that is the old city one. Yeah. Wait, so why is he saying ten and you're saying ten thirty? This is sort of ten thirty that week. I don't know. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I thought you meant there's a kabbal like a chol yirmiyo. I thought that's the I thought that's you were referring to. No, no. Usually it's usually it's, it's you should be ten. It's ten all across like basically every minute, but it's ten thirty that week. Okay, interesting. All right, Noah. To Monty's point, I think that the fact that the Shabbos beats out some fast days mean that means it actually does have some like significance, and then you can kind of at least make some. Okay, sort fair, of enough. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's a good point. Okay, right, guys, let me just sneak in two more stories, I'll take more comments. Okay, I'm going to go to Megillah Chafet, guys. Okay? We're going to look at five, six, and seven now. And this is really interesting logically. Okay, Megillah, source five. Take this rule in your hand. Okay, what's Tzvei in, in Amek? More. So if you've got one more aspect, here, Isaac, here's the rule. Tzvei Gava Yatera. What's a Gava Yatera? Add one more person, right? Gever, right? So you have another... Here, now what's the extra aspect? Because guys, we're going to finally find out why Shabbos beats Yom Kippur here. Here we go. Okay. Uh, where am I? Okay. Hilkach, Rosh Chodesh, De'ika, Karban, Musaf, Karan, Arba. Okay. What makes Rosh Chodesh have more status than Monday, Thursday? Well, every Rosh Chodesh you dive in, Musaf. So that shows you that it is more. Okay, great. Biyom Tov, De'asr Basiyam, Lacha, Chamisha. How come Yom Tov is more serious than Rosh Chodesh? Well, it's not Asadumalach on Rosh Chodesh. Okay, so we keep having this factor, some factor that gives you extra oomph. Okay, next. Come here, let's go in there. Life's good? Okay, excellent. Michael, you look very into it today. Because I've decided Michael is going to be like the surprise of summer's mind. Every day he is, we'll camping into it so far. Okay, we're, we're doing very well. Okay, excellent, Michael. Although I just ruined it. Now that I said it publicly, you might not be the surprise of guys anymore. But you know what? I think it'll still be surprising. Okay. Okay, so here we go. The Yom Kippur, the Onesh Karet. Sheesh, ah, notice. How did Yom Kippur beat out Yom Tov? Well, we've been discussing before, right? I said Isra Malach on Yom Tov is not so serious. But wait, maybe we didn't talk about Yom Kippur. There it is more serious. 
there's a karate associated with doing lacha on Yom Kippur. But now, Shabbat, as Yoni said before, Dikka Isser Skila Shema. Guys, so from what perspective, okay, no comments for Vinus. From what perspective did Shabbos beat Yom Kippur? What, what, were you, what criteria were we using? The severity of Isser Malacha. Right? Oh, Yom Tov's just an Avera, five. Yom Kippur is Karate, six. Shabbos is Skila, seven. Okay, but now, source six, because I'm going to take comments in a second, because you're going to find this really fascinating. Okay, six. Source six. That's Rabbi Shemal. Rabbi Kiva Omer. Shiva Uvishabad Shisha. I read, no, it's out of order, so it's confusing. But what I like about this a lot is apparently Rabbi Kiva thought that we're not evaluating it correctly. Kiva said, no, I, I don't buy that. Yom Kippur has more status than Shabbat. If you want to convey ranking, we should call up six on Shabbat and seven on Yom Kippur. So in my mind, this is a pretty fascinating debate. It's a very little-known debate. And it's a good example where, like, a very technical debate could be much deeper. You could say, this is very technical, right? Does the Gaba Isaac Burkauer call up six or seven people on Shabbat and Yom Kippur? But maybe that's not just a technicality. There's, like, some kind of value judgment being made. Should we rank Shabbat first, or should we rank Yom Kippur first? Which really should get the seven? Now, but here's the tricky thing. We know in the Gemara how Shabbat won, right? How did Shabbat win? If we asked about the severity of punishment for Esther Malacha. But the Gemara never spells out the rationale of Rabbi Akiva. I mean, what criteria was Rabbi Akiva using when he decided that Yom Kippur is ranked first? So now things get really interesting, because now if you're a commentator, you're just a good yeshiva student, you should be asking yourself, oh, I wonder in Rabbi Akiva's worldview, what was it about Yom Kippur that gave it more oomph than Shabbat? So that's the question we deal with right now. Now I'll open the floor, and then we'll see a very interesting approach by the Turi Evan. Okay, Jonah. Are we so sure that the death penalty is worse than Kari? Okay, so that's, I don't get into right now. That's a very interesting question, but how we rank death penalties. For now, we're going to go with the assumption that Mitat Beitin is worse than Kari. Okay, that's a very interesting question, why we should assume that. Excellent question, but not for us right now. Yeah, Rafi. Uh, can the argument apply that Shabbat is more common for why we have seven times that properly Look, uh, it's true that commonality is a factor in Judaism. I would just point out, sometimes in Judaism it goes the opposite direction, though, right? Because what's I, what you're saying is certainly true experientially and psychologically. What's Rafi saying? We experience something as more special because... It's more, it's less frequent. I cannot deny, obviously, that is our experience. Most of us experience the Pesach Seder is more special than Friday night meal, as much as we might love our Friday night meal, because Pesach Seder is once or twice a year. I, I can't deny that. But as Mati was pointing out, what about the rule for the sake of wearing the Tadir Vishenu Tadir Tadir Kodem? So you might say that in our tradition, we actually give weight to things that are frequent. Okay, so again, Rafi, I'm not saying you're wrong, but. You'd have to really work out that we see that in our tradition, that something should get extra power precisely because it's infrequent. Okay, yeah, Mike. Correct, correct. You're saying in this ranking, we don't seem to be using commonality as. Okay, yeah. Uh, very good. You're on the right track. See, guys, even without a collar, you can make a good shot in sheer goalie. Okay, excellent. Yeah. Yeah, we're not counting mouth here at this point. 
I don't get into why not, but don't realize we have a moft here for Yom Tov and Yom Kippur as well, right? No, all I'm pointing out is that the moft here doesn't really affect the ranking. Okay. Good topic for us right now. Okay? Yeah. In general, whenever you have a between these three, there's a bigger... Option. We always go for the bigger. Like, like Rosh, like, uh, what does that mean? Like Rosh Kodesh on like uh, a normal day. Oh, I think. Uh, Correct. And... Correct. Okay. okay, guys. So let's go to the Turei Evan. I think you guys go up. Just to get you who this is, the Turei Evan is Rev. Aryeh Ginsberg. His most famous work is a work called the Shagat Aryeh, right? The Roar of the Lion. But he also has a commentary on certain Masechta called Turei Evan. Okay, he makes a great point. Let's read the Turei Evan. Okay, here we go. Tama de Rabbi Akiva, loaned barely. Ah, he's in the same place as us. Rabbi Ari Ginsburg looks at the Gemara and says, wait, Rabbi Akiva's rationale, loaned barer. It's not so clear. The Gemara never says why he ranks Yom Kippur as more than Shabbat. Johnny, you almost made it. I know, oh, no, no, but you almost made I know, I, I'm breaking my rule. You, you almost made the whole show without going for a bathroom break. You were so close. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I think it was, a, it was a whole month off. I was allowed to make fun of him again, right? Okay. okay. Yeah, you know, I, I, I was consciously breaking the street here. I, I knew what I was doing. Okay, so now... Okay. So what's the reason? Bishlema review. Rabbi, what was that? Rabbi Yishmael. Dumb Rabbi Yom Kippur of the Shabbat Shabbat and Tamak Bishalel. Called it Fele Mutamachave Fele Gaviatera. Yom Kippur donish Kare Chisha Shabbat is Kulashiba. Meaning, Rabbi Yishmael, the Gemara explains his rationale. So we're good. We're good to go to explain how Yom Kippur ended up losing. But, Aval Rabbi Kiv, the Tfele Yom Kippur, Akel Misharachmur, my Tama. Now comes the best part, guys. I think this is such a good point logically. The Emishim the Yom Kippur Yom Inoyu. Okay, what is he thinking? And let's see why he's going to reject it. What does it mean Yom Kippur is Yom Inu? So one could say Yom Kippur's got more weight than Shabbat because it's got all these other prohibitions, such as you fast, you don't take a shower. Guys, who can tell me why he might critique that argument? Why is that not such a good argument at the end of the day? Because, oh, it sounds great. Yom Kippur does have things that Shabbat does not have. Yeah, Gabriel? Ah, excellent. Guys, wouldn't that lead to ridiculous extreme? I could argue Sukkot is the most weighty Yom Tov. How do I know? Well, after all, it's the only Yom Tov. You have to eat in the Sukkot. It's the only Yom Tov you have to take a lulav. I could say Pesach is obviously the most weighty Yom Tov because it's the only Yom Tov where there's Nisr Chavetz, right? So you can't think in those terms, right? By definition, you, the, that thinking breaks down. But now let's think. This is where you got to love Gemara, guys, because it, it really differentiates if you could think abstractly well or you can't. So if that's true, so what kind, what would be a good means of doing an authentic comparison, right? If things like the need to eat in a sukkah or the need to eat matzah are not good ways of comparing chagim, so what kind of things would be a good way of comparing chagim? Yeah. Ah, uh, exactly. Okay, Ari Berman, he knows how to analyze. Okay, that's because his, his Russian parents forced him to play chess like David Cohen. Is that true? Did they do that? Okay, and what about, do you, do you play an instrument? Your, parent, your, your parents aren't really Russian. <laughs> okay, David Cohen, it's just you. Okay, so uh, in any case, the, um, wouldn't that be the way? Now think about what the Gemara does, it's perfect. Why is Isra Malach a perfect means? Because 
Yom Tov and Yom Kippur and Shabbos all have some form. So they're playing the same game. So I think this is a great logical point. When it comes to things like matzah, chameh, sukkah, arbaminim, no one's playing the same game. So you can't have a comparison. But Isra everyone's playing the same game. Now let's go even a step further, guys. Okay, oh, by the way, the other possible surprise man for Kai's mind is going to be Ethan Rabinowitz. He, he also, this is the most intuitive and chocolate he's ever been. Okay, so we have, we have two different candidates for the surprise star of Kai's mind. Okay, well, check it out, guys. I'll announce it two weeks from now how, how the status is going. Okay, actually, no. Do we have chocolate next week? We do, right? Yeah, maybe ready next week. Well, I didn't just put away my phone. I, 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 wait, I didn't even I do. I didn't say anything. I just prayed to you. Hang in there. Okay. Oh man, that guilty conscience is pretty powerful. Okay, Mike, you have been on your phone in your Yeah. Okay, I think I enjoy my job too much. Okay, but, um, but, so let's think of where else you have a who remembers why? Now, couldn't you argue guys that that's similar in the sense that you have tefillah on both days, so you could also do a comparison. You guys remember this? So I think we're looking, the term has made a great logical point, we're looking for where we have the same category, so we do a comparison. Isra Malacha is a good place to look, and couldn't you argue that tefillah is a good place to look? Oh, you pray three times a day on a Monday, but you pray a fourth tefillah on Rosh Chodesh. Because I'll take comments in one second. But I think logically that is an excellent point. So now let's go back to the Turi Evan. Let's see what he does, guys. So you're going to tell me Yom Kippur is better because of Inuy. There you are. There's your point. So you can't do that because then every Yom Tov could be viewed as the main Yom Tov. You can't. It doesn't work. Okay, guys, a little Aramaic here. There is a tsluta yetera. What's a tsluta? Ah, uh, remember that tsluta is Aramaic for davening, like titkabel tsloton? Ah, now, you guys, don't look ahead. What is he going to say ultimately is the reason for Yom Kippur to win in Rabbi Akiva's worldview? Very good. Right? Ah, just like you could say Rosh Chodesh has a Musaf, you could say the Yom Kippur has an Ila. Indeed, very good. Look at the keep reading. Okay. So again, I just want to review this, guys, and then I'll take comments and summarize. But I think this Turevan is a great rule for how to logically analyze something. It says, like, when you have apples and oranges, you can't make any comparisons. You can't say sukkah is better because you have to live in a, eat in a sukkah. That's just... There's no comparison. It's not the same universe as Pesach. And Pesach, Hamitz, and Matz is a different universe. If I really want to compare things, I have to have a, a joint category, a shared category. What are the two shared categories he has in this world? Isra Malacha is a shared category, and, and Tfilah is a shared category. So that could rank. So they, at that point, it will make sense. Why does Rabbi Yishmael give Shabbos better ranking? Because he's thinking in terms of Isra Malacha. And despite Jonah Gordon's point, he's assuming that Skilo is more serious than Kari. So Shabbos wins. What is Rabbi Kiva saying, Quintory Evan? Wait, why are you looking things through the Issa lens? Let's look at the Tefillah lens. That's also a shared category. And in the Tefillah lens, Yom Kippur is better. Okay, so I think guys, you're heading in this direction, right? It's about the Tefillah. Right? And therefore, Yom Kippur ends up with more status than Shabbat. Okay, now any comments or questions, and we'll be above. Okay, Jonah. Um, I was just curious. 
having the offer, but you can't do offer for Okay, so just a quick thing, guys. I'm not going to get to it because we had too many contentions today. But the Torah, actually, some of you may know this, actually uses a different phrase. What phrase does the Torah tend to use when it says, what you shouldn't do on Shabbat? Don't do? Malacha. That is the classic refrain. Don't do Malacha. If you know this, guys, I'm really going to be impressed. Does anyone know the much more common phrase about what you can't do on Yom Tov? Oh, how did you know that you only sold Oh, my God. See, guys, you all should have gone to my monitors. Who taught you in ninth grade? Ah, there you go. Here's a good teacher. Okay, amazing. The Torah tends to say, guys, there's two exceptions, which I'm not going to explain right now. But in almost every case, the Torah says, what's Asra on Yom Tov? Melechet Avodah. Now, what was that, guys? Couldn't you argue that a lot of our differences are already implicit there? Because yeah. here, there's an, I'll give you another good logical rule, guys. Okay, if you're a serious thinker, Jews can teach you logic. Guys, when you add a term, let's say you have Melechet Aser or Melechet Avodah is Aser. What is going to be a wider category at that point? What is adding the term to? Is that going to make more things usher or fewer things usher? Yeah. Right? I'm going to realize logically. Every added term in theory is a qualifier. Right? So if I just say malacha is usher, what's usher? Everything's usher. But if I say malachat avodah is usher, maybe I'm implicitly saying, oh, only certain kinds of malacha, those that can be termed malachat avodah. So, Jonah, the answer to your question is, it is explicit in the Torah, but even in the explicit phraseology, we really get a difference. Melechet Avodah, apparently, oh, Ochel Nefesh is apparently not prohibited by Melechet Avodah. Okay? Ah, Jonah Uziel is a very clever fellow. Okay? Excellent, Jonah. You're also like an underrated guy in New Zealand, Jonah. Okay? So, uh, in fact, it's... If you got up a little earlier, I wouldn't realize that uh, you're underrated. Okay, but um, Joan is right. We'll be interesting test at this point. Which phrase is used on Yom Kippur? So, guys, what do you think? Yeah, it says Very good, very good. Phil, Phil, maybe you could also be like the third surprise guy of Kai's month. Maybe you could challenge Ethan and uh, Michael over there. Phil, what do you think? Oh, yeah, go ahead, Phil. What? Okay, look, it's an interesting question, but just since I gotta stop in two minutes, I'm not, I'm not gonna address it right now. Maybe else with a closing comment or question? The Ben Lee Shai, what do you got? Pesach, it says, it says, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Wait, why, why do you know the Kriya so well? Ah, there you go. Okay. In Emor, guys, if you want to check this out, Emor lists all the things. You'll notice that Shabbat and Yom Kippur, it says, don't do Malacha. And all the other Chagim, it says, don't do Malacha Rabodah. So if you, if you doubt me, Emor is the place to look. Look at the Emor passage. Emor is totally consistent. Okay, Gabriel. <laughs> Look, I think that's very interesting. I think you'd have to say, according to Rabbi is using both factors, right? That he thinks Ismaelacha matters and Fila matters, but when push comes to shove, but let me think about that a little bit. That is an interesting question. Yeah, Quincy. Just things that they won't have, question, look at the actual of the brain, Okay, okay, yeah. 
So who cares about how they actually do calculate? So it sounds like Mueller uh, gives them like one point in a sense, yeah. how do they get to the eventual six or seven? Okay, so look, there are good about why those numbers are picked. I'm not going to get to it right now. Those are like motivated to like, say, like, like, let's say, like, for me, Cuba thinks that Yom Kippur is better, so he, like, arbitrarily comes up with some things to count up to some number. Wait, but once he's doing it to show that Yom Kippur is better, it's not arbitrary anymore. No, but I'm saying... Well, it could be the numbers are arbitrary, but the value judgment's not arbitrary. No, but I'm saying that he has to tell you what is more significant in a sense. Like, like at the end of the day, Yom Kippur still doesn't have... Okay, but guys, this is a little bit like I, I said in the past, and maybe, maybe we'll close with this. Uh, I usually do a review, but I want to be fair to Rabini, because he's supposed to start 12 team. So I'm not going to just close at this point, guys. Very often in life, you have a value judgment you're trying to make, and you do it. But how you express it might be arbitrary. But I don't think that should bother you so much. Like, let's say Rafi Ubek wants to convey to... Oh, we'll go back to Kobe. Let's say Kobe wants to convince his kids that Simchas Torah is the most important cog in Judaism. Okay, so they always have extra cake on Simchas Torah to show that it is the most important cog in Judaism. At that point, would it matter whether they have one more piece or two more pieces? I would say that could be arbitrary, right? Who cares whether they move it up by one or by two? Either way, he's conveying the value that Simchas Torah is where it's at. So I, I think all right, I'd say something similar over here. Like, okay, does, does seven have to have ultimate significance in this world? No. What, what did both Rabbi Kippur and Shmuel want to do? They wanted to show either that Shabbat outranks Yom Kippur or that Yom Kippur outranks Shabbat. Okay. It, it could have been, I don't know, nine to eight instead of seven to six. All right. What difference does it make? Seven right. I, I'm okay. I know I've seen this before, guys. Some of you don't like that it could be anything. Art, right? You know, Hasidim and Omnisidimans people don't like this idea. Okay. Don't tell us to rub it. will get upset with me. Say anything could be arbitrary in Judaism. I don't see why not. There's a value we're trying to convey. It could be we convey it in somewhat of an arbitrary way, but you have to convey it somehow. Yeah. Oh, I'd say But I'm still saying the specific numbers might not really matter. Right? Anybody with the last comment or question? Yeah. Um, we, 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 we are counting Maftir in the... No, no, we're not counting Maftir. Everyone, okay, okay. Simon Goldberg's absolutely right. Oh, yeah, Guys, the, these numbers, not a single one of them counted Maftir. Okay. If you counted Maftir, it would have been 876, not 765. Okay, what Maftir is about, we'll have to wait for another time. I, I was going to say that, I, I agree that Yom Kippur could be arbitrary. I think Shabbat being seven kind of works too well to be arbitrary. Oh, uh, you, you got me there, Mati. Even I might be convinced that Shabbat seven is not arbitrary. Right. All right, guys, everybody have a great Shabbat. <laughs>